Uh, we're in a uh, series called Faith for Life because it's, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God, isn't it? And we want to be people who please God, who live lives that, um, that please Him. So we're going through these mini biographies in Hebrews 11, these, uh, learning from the stories of ordinary people who had faith in God and to help us to persevere. Because if you've been a Christian for some time, you'll know that the Christian life can involve struggles, can't it? Setbacks. It can involve um, suffering, periods of stagnation. And today we want to learn from the story of Jacob, um, learn that God's unique and often surprising blessings um, and favor uh, for us. And uh, if you're, yeah, we're in Genesis 48 uh, to 49. (coughs) The context, as with some of the previous passages that uh, we've looked at with Abraham and Isaac, is it's helpful to just know culturally that in the natural, in the flesh, the way it would have usually and expectedly been would be that the birthright, inheritance, if you like, would, and the blessing would go to the firstborn Son, And that's just a bit helpful to know as we kind of read this passage, because that's quite significant for these passages that we're reading about um, Isaac and Jacob and so on. So helpful just to have in your mind as we read this, otherwise the passage doesn't really make sense. We're going to read together. I'm not going to read the whole of chapters 48 and 49. I'm going to skip bits and just kind of summarize them for us, because otherwise that would be most of our time taken. But reading from verse 1 in chapter 48, says this... After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, that's Jacob, summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And if you've been following the series with us, you'll know those are very familiar words that were first promised to Abraham. And now, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. We jump to verse 8. When Israel, Jacob, saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And now the eyes of Israel uh, were dim with age so that you couldn't see. That's why he'd asked, Who are they? (laughs) They're his grandchildren. He still needed to ask. So Joseph brought them near to him kissed them and embraced them and Israel said to Joseph I never expected to see your face and behold God has let me see your offspring also Um, just a bit of the context of the story of Joseph Joseph had been sold into slavery you may well know this story well he was a favorite of Jacob Uh, the other brothers were jealous they sold their brother into slavery Uh, they took an animal's skin uh, sorry they took uh, Joseph's coat to their father and he presumed that an animal had devoured him and presumed him dead and uh, his son was lost to him. Uh, and that's why um, he's saying he's just so amazed to see his face and to see his offspring, because it was a day he never thought would happen. 
And then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took both them both, Ephraim in his right hand, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head um, of Manasseh, crossing his hands. But Manasseh was the firstborn. I need to probably explain that a little bit, because it doesn't quite make sense, does it? But what's happened is uh, Jacob is blessing Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he's got, uh, let me get this right, so I'll get it the right way. Ephraim is on his left, uh, is on his right, your left. This is going to be confusing. But anyway, Ephraim is here, Manasseh is here. And what he does is, he's going to bless with his right hand a greater blessing. Usually, expectedly, naturally, culturally, on the eldest. But what he does is, he crosses his hands and he blesses Ephraim rather than Manasseh. I think I've got that the wrong way around. But you get the concept, don't you? of the crossed hands. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, (coughs) the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Again, praying the promises to Abraham over them. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, It displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head, the eldest. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one's the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he shall also be great. Because from this point on, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the sons of Jacob, Israel, the 12 tribes. Um, Where did I get to? Um, but his father refused. Yeah, and he shall. <coughs> so he blessed them that day, saying, uh, "By you is will by you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim, and as Manasseh." And then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, "Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you, and will bring you again to the land of your fathers." Moreover, I have given you to your, uh, given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. And then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. And then what Jacob does is he prays a blessing over each of his sons very uniquely. Um, he prays, uh, uh, prays a blessing and prophesies a uh, p- pleasant land for Issachar, Naphtali to be fruitful, Asher's delicacies to be sought by kings, Zebulun to conquer the north, Gad to defeat invaders, Benjamin to ravage anyone he found, Dan to spawn great judges like Samson, even heirs of sinful Reuben, Simeon and Levi when excluded and they receive a blessing too. And Judah, the greatest blessing through whom the Messiah would come, And then he prays more generally in verse 25, if you want to skip your eyes down there. He says, By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you, with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart 
from his brothers. And then verses 28 to 32, Jacob requests burial in the promised land with his ancestors, which they don't own yet, but Abraham has bought a field where Sarah and other ancestors are buried. And the passage finishes like this in verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And we read of Jacob this in Hebrews. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his star. It seems quite odd that Hebrews would focus on this passage that I've just read out to us in Jacob's, this uh, kind of scene in Jacob's life, because it seems smaller and apparently less significant than lots of the other things that Jacob had done in his life. He's known for much greater acts of faith. There was faith involved in the vision of the ladder. There was faith involved in his encounter with Laban. There was um, faith involved in his wrestling with God. They all involved faith, but the, the writer of Hebrews includes um, this aspect of Jacob's life because there's something quite special about this moment when Jacob blesses his sons. Given all Joseph, his favoured and chosen son, had been through, sold into slavery, presumed dead, presumed he would never see him again, and yet this moment that comes when he gets to bless Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, something he didn't ever think he would see in his old age. And so from this, I'm just going to pull out three things I think we can learn from Jacob's faith in this moment when he joyfully sees God's hand at work. And the first thing is, is this, the crossed hands of God. As I was explaining earlier, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. And it's a surprise. The significance of this is that in the natural, in the flesh, what would usually and expectedly happen is that Manasseh would have been blessed more than, and would have been favoured more than uh, Ephraim. But God surprises Jacob, surprises Joseph, as he had done with Isaac as well. And Joseph, it says, isn't it, in verse 17, 18, that he's displeased. He wants Jacob to bless the other way around, the way it should be, the way it kind of seems in the natural, the way it fleshly, kind of with his fleshly eyes, the way it should have been. This is how I imagined it happening. Naturally, he would have given his greatest blessing to his favorite Joseph as well. But actually, when you read the passage, uh, what Jacob does is he gives the greatest blessing to Judah, which is even more surprising because Judah's the one who had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. And yet he's the one who gets the greatest blessing that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, totally unexpectedly. Jacob's faith, though, helps Joseph to realise that even though he's risen to this really prominent position in Egypt of being prime minister, you remember the story? He rises to the significant, he's sold into slavery in Egypt, he becomes the prime minister just below Pharaoh. It's a significant position. Even though he's the prime minister, when it comes to God, He's not the prime mover. Even though he's the prime minister, he's not the prime mover. God's blessing and favour doesn't come through the flesh, but it comes through the spirit. It doesn't come through the natural, it comes through the supernatural. It doesn't come through human lineage, Manasseh. It comes through God's grace on Ephraim. And we tend, as people, don't we, to look on the outside. Just now, I was watching a program the other night 
Ben Fogel's New Lives in the Wild. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably haven't because it's on Channel 5. You can get it on 5 on demand. And uh, it's, uh, we love it. Uh, but there's this whole story about this guy who, on appearance, he just looks like a homeless man with nothing going for him. And the whole episode revealed this wonderful relationship he had with his boy. And the, the episode talked through the judgments that people made about him and his relationship with his son and what his son's kind of childhood was like. The whole point was, you know, on the surface, at appearance, it looks like that boy's got a horrific life. And when you get into it, there's this beautiful father-son relationship. Because naturally, we look at the natural, don't we? We look on the outward. We look at appearance. But God looks at the heart. Man looks on the appearance, but God looks at the heart. We look for the manasses of the world, the obvious, in the flesh, in the natural, culturally, what's best. But God looks at the Ephraims. That's what his grace is like. We look to the strong, the powerful, the impressive, and God looks to the weak and the very ordinary. We look for the special, and God looks for the common. And one of the things uh, we have to learn when we're following Jesus is the crossed hands of God. That he very is un- he's unexpected. He does the unexpected. He does the surprising. He does the unusual. Because God's seeing something that we wouldn't naturally see with our fleshly eyes. But God can give us the grace to see things in the spiritual that we wouldn't necessarily see with our natural eyes. We need to know that God saves surprising people. How many of you could say as part of your testimony, I am the most unlikeliest person you would have ever thought would have become a Christian, and yet here I am, sat together with a church family on a Sunday morning. God surprises us by who he saves. And God surprises us by who he uses to do great things as well, doesn't he? That his grace and favour seem to fall on the most unusual of people, on Ephraim rather than Manasseh, on David over his brothers. Remember that story? Bringing all David's... He keeps bringing all his sons out. What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? Now that's all there is. Haven't you got another one? Oh yeah, there's David. He's in the field. Yeah. We bring him along. David turns out to be Israel's greatest king ever. Yeah. God uses... Um, Unexpected. He makes unexpected choices that we wouldn't have seen in the natural. What about Paul in the New Testament? One of the most significant master builder of the church in its earliest days. When he was going around persecuting and murdering Christians, he's not the most likely candidate in the natural, is he, for a church leader? Certainly not an apostle to plant churches. And yet that's God's grace. That's what it looks like. That's the crossed hands of God where we'd think God would do this. And God does this. You think, Paul? Really? You think David? David out in the field? What about all these? Look at these guys. No. My favour's on David. So, the question to us is, have we discounted ourselves sometimes from being used by God in a significant way? Because you might not naturally appear to be somebody who might do great things for God. You might not naturally appear a leader. You not, might not naturally appear as somebody who might do something impressive in God. But the crossed hands of God, the crossed hands of God 
It's about his grace. A while back, somebody gave me a picture along this basis. I was at uh, an event at King's um, for church staff in in the churches that are in Norfolk and North Suffolk. (coughs) And a friend called Phil, who's one of the elders at um, the church in Deerham, said, James, I'd been talking with him how we'd just got a stove, built a log store in the back garden, and how we were kind of going out to get wood to heat the stove to heat the home. And we're getting rid of the storage heaters. And he said uh, to me that he had this picture that at the back of the log store, if you searched all the way to the back, you would find pieces of wood, which I just said we just kind of picked up along the way. You know, you destroy a cot. You think, we'll burn that at some point. This piece of furniture is no good anymore, but we'll burn that at some point. But it gets kind of thrown to the back of the log store. You kind of forget about it or thrown underneath the table. And it's kind of disregarded wood. And he said, James, you go searching at the back of the log store for the wood that you wouldn't naturally think would heat the home. Bring it into the stove. Fill it. Set it alight. It'll, it'll be kindling for the fire. And it'll bring warmth to the family. And what he felt God was saying to me through that was that we might discount some people as going to disregard them. It's just wood at the back of the log store. Not particularly significant. And God says, bring that kindling, bring that wood out, use it in the stove. It'll kindle a fire and it'll bring warmth to the family. And actually, Roger's word was a little bit similar to that, wasn't it? That it's not about flavor or whatever it might be, but it's just about receiving God. You receive what God has for you. That's the only qualification. You receive him by faith and he can do great things with you and there are some of us who've discounted ourselves and yet we're kindling for a fire that's going to bring warmth to the family of God here at Life Church Beckles so what are the things that we tend to discount ourselves with <coughs> first I think some of us just a, some application here for how some of us might discount ourselves I think some of us might discount ourselves because we're a bit timid by nature. In the natural, we're fairly timid. You know that? You're not the kind of person, you're the kind of person who trembles when you know God's got a word for you to bring. And you really like, it takes all your energy just to get yourself to the microphone to bring something. You're the kind of person who wouldn't naturally put yourself forward because you just kind of discount yourself from leading anything. You have to wait for other people to draw you out. You wouldn't call yourself a natural leader you know, one of those people just seems to know what they're about. They're like, bang, 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 bosh. I know what I'm doing. This is where we're going. You're actually kind of a little bit more reserved. And God would say, see my crossed hands. Remember Paul's writing letter to Timothy? And he says, Timothy's got an issue with being timid. Do you remember that? And yet, Timothy was the one he sent into churches that were in disarray, really, to put things in order, to protect the people, establish elders in the churches. Some of you have discounted yourself because you see yourself as timid and God wants to say, see my crossed hands. My grace is upon you. I can do great things through you. Don't discount yourself. I felt some of us would discount ourselves because of past sin or weakness or spiritual baggage Things that have happened to you in the past, you're very aware of the struggles that you have in God and the ways in which you've had to kind of battle through and kind of sort your mind out 
You're very aware of your weaknesses. Your conscience is quite sensitive. You're constantly reminded by the enemy of the things that you've done in the past. He's constantly disqualifying you and discounting you and trying to get you to kind of, you know, drop your hands. And I felt the Lord just want to say to us, see my crossed hands, my grace. Paul persecuted the church, stood over the murders of the earliest Christians, and he went on to be its greatest apostle in those days. God can do incredible things through you too. Thirdly, I felt some of us would discount ourselves um, because of our class. Um, I think I've spoken about this a couple of times recently, mostly because I was prompted by this book that I've read, um, which I think is quite provocative in terms of the culture that's been established in um, UK churches, typically are dominated by, by middle class. And yet, God's grace to reach out to all of society, that's what we believe in, isn't it? A church for all people, regardless of your educational background. And uh, I feel some of us would just discount ourselves, perhaps because we don't feel like we fit in with that kind of predominating culture. That we feel like we would kind of tend to kind of just feel a little bit apart from things. And uh, let me read this. Um, This is Invisible Divides. I recommended this to you before, haven't I? Twice. This is the third time. Get a hint. Brilliant book. It's a really excellent book. If you're leading an aspect of church life, I would say this is an essential read for trying to understand how to lead people. It's really, really essential. Um, Natalie Williams uh, writes this, or it might be Paul Brown. They write it together. I forget who's writing. If we truly want to change church culture and reach the neglected communities in the UK, one of the things we urgently need to change is how we define what makes a good church leader. Uh, There seems to be a lack of leaders who are willing and able to reach out into working class communities, and there's undoubtedly a lack of leaders who identify as working class. In the Bible, we see that ordinary people are used by God in extraordinary ways. Social status, education, wealth, and qualifications, none of these things are prerequisites for becoming a leader. In fact, God seems to often pick the most unlikely people to lead, the crossed hands of God. It says this in Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, read dumb, ordinary men, uh, they were astonished and they took note that these men had in fact been with Jesus. <laughs> That's the qualification for being a leader in the church of God. You've been with Jesus and it's really obvious Not any other kind of qualification. If we want to see diverse churches reflecting people across our communities and bridging invisible divides, we need a radical shift in our thinking. Otherwise, we will continue to deny leadership roles to the unschooled and ordinary, people who've been shaped by grace and grit rather than traditional scholarship. If we dismiss people as leadership candidates simply because of their background or formal education, we'll be excluding some mighty men and women of God Peter the fisherman probably wouldn't be considered for leadership in most of our churches. And if we don't shift our sights when it comes to church leadership, then we will inevitably miss some powerful and godly leaders. They're using the term leadership in the, in the broadest sense in the church. Yeah, we understand that. You have elders in the church, but the gift of leadership is much broader than that. But there are many of us expressing the gift of leadership. So Joy, leading our worship team and leading us this morning, she's expressing her gift 
of leadership in the church. And uh, I thought that would just be helpful for some of us, that you would discount yourself perhaps because of the dominant culture in UK churches. And God would say, no, see my crossed hands. Sometimes um, it's the most surprising candidates. And the fourth way I think some of us can discount ourselves is age. Is age. That some of you feel long in the tooth. (laughs) That you feel like your time has passed. And if you learn anything from these stories about Isaac and Jacob is that in their old age they still did great acts of faith and great things for God. That God still has great things for many of us here in the church to do regardless of our age. The second thing was just, have we discounted others? This is the reason Phil gave me the word as to James. Don't discount others from leadership in the church. Do you dismiss the possibility of others? Perhaps if you're a leader in the church, you're leading an aspect of church life. Do you dismiss others for serving and stepping into leadership based on any of those things? And for all of us, do we ever dismiss somebody from being saved by God? because of something in the natural. It's not uncommon to say for somebody to be talking about one of their friends, neighbours, and to kind of you know, suggest the possibility that you're in their life, perhaps God might want to save them. <laughs> oh, no. Because you, ha- you haven't met them. If you knew what they were like, you'd know they were far from God. Those are the kind of people God saves. If you read the Bible, those are the people God saves, isn't it? The people who are far from God. The reality is, everyone's far from God. And yet, God with his crossed hands saves the most unlikely. Let's be those who look with spiritual eyes and see the things that God sees in others, rather than the things we naturally and typically see and would overlook. Sorry, I took quite a bit of time over that one, but I felt that was an important point in the passage. The second thing, the unique blessings of God. Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Jacob blesses, prophesies and prays over each of his sons uniquely according to how God directs him. And this is something that God does, isn't it? He has something for each of us individually. We all have unique personalities and giftings, backgrounds, experiences and so on. And God blesses each of us Um, uniquely. We all have something of the blessings of God in Christ, don't we, that we share in common, salvation from sin in the past. But all of us, just like Jacob, have a land that's ahead. You know in the passage, Jacob is constantly looking ahead, isn't he, to the land, the promised land that's coming for his sons. And all of us have blessings of God that include land that's ahead of us, that's unique to us. Some of it's Uh, It's the same for all of us. It's things like um, greater holiness, filled with the Spirit, vibrant church life, effective witness, growing intimacy with God, answered prayer. But God also speaks tailor-made promises and blessings to each of us, doesn't he? Things that are unique to you, because he's made you for a purpose. He's made you with your background, your experiences, your personality, your giftings, for a reason. So what are they? What are the things that God has shaped in you, uniquely blessed you with, 
How is his grace unique to you? How are his promises and prophetic words? What are they that are over you? Because God wants us to enter into them by faith and be confident of what he has said. I mean, this is true on a church level, isn't it? We've got some prophetic things that are spoken over us that were unique. That's why we purchased the building, isn't it? Because we had a prophetic word that said, I've got a building for you. So we went after that building. We pursued the thing that we were interested in, and now we own it. And we had a a prophetic picture about the hive, Um, this picture of people experiencing God's goodness when they're with us and when we're out there in the world, and that people would stick with us. And that was a long time ago now, wasn't it? And what has happened? People have enjoyed God's goodness with us and stuck with us. We've seen some prophetic fulfillment in that sense. We had um, part, the second part of the word was about the strengthening of foundations. That's part of what we, why we're doing this series. Part of it was strengthening our worship, which speaks of our hearts towards him in faith. So we're, doing, we're looking at faith for life to help us persevere and have faith in God through every situation and circumstance. Prophesied about strengthening our faith in uh, God's truth and how it's worked out in our life. Strengthening the foundation of life in the spirit. Strengthening our impact in the community. These are prophetic words that are specifically over us for a season in our life together. And the third one was the physical expression of the hive, which we've, we've seen come to pass and we're working through now. For us as a church, we want to know the specific tailor-made promises and blessings of favour of God over us, but also individually for each of us, knowing your part to play in God's plans. And the final thing is this. Assurance of things hoped for. Assurance of things hoped for. Let's flick your eyes to verse 21. It says this, Behold, I'm about to die, Jacob says, but God will be with you, And will bring you again to the land of your fathers. God will bring you to the land of your fathers. These are Jacob's, some of Jacob's last words. I'll bring you to the land of, God will bring you to the land of my fathers. The promises made to Abraham are going to come to pass. Which is the summary of faith, isn't it? In in Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That is, Jacob is utterly convinced that the promised land is for his sons. He's convinced of it. He's assured of it. He hopes for it, not with a kind of, oh, I wish that might happen, but with a sense of real assurance and conviction that it will. Jacob says to Joseph in 48 verse 3 to 4, God appeared to me and said to me, behold, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you, make you a company of peoples and will give this land to you. Uh, to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. This is late on in Jacob's life. He's near to death. But the promises of God in this passage trip off his tongue. You notice that? They just trip off his tongue. He knows them. He's been ruminating, praying them through all throughout his life, and they trip off his tongue. He's held the promises of God near to him, central to his whole life, its purpose and direction. And he prophesies over each son which areas of the promised land belong to them. You have to kind of think of the scene. Jacob is dying. He's near death. They're in Egypt. Egypt. They're a long, long way away from the promised land in Egypt. There's a famine going on. There doesn't really look like there's any hope of return. 
And here Jacob is in his final days. He's not just saying you will inherit the land. He's saying you're going to have this bit. You're going to have that bit. You're going to take this bit in the north. You're in the south. Do you see what? Incredible faith. So assured of the things that God has spoken over him and his son's life that he's doing that. Even though they're in Egypt, they don't even own the land yet. They haven't even taken it. This is amazing faith, isn't it? It's the kind of a faith we want, isn't it? Assurance of the things hoped for. Confidence and faith in God. And at the end of the passage, Jacob even says he desires to be buried in the promised land with his ancestors. Because of course it's going to happen. Just carry my body with you. Bury me there when we get there. So assured is he of what God has said. So do the, do the promises of God trip off your tongue? Are there things, because we, we say it a lot, don't we, in church, the promises of God. And I bet for lots of us we're going, what's that now? <laughs> what's that now? What are the promises of God? We talk about it all the time. So I just felt, I need to tell one, one of them is, we're going to rise from the dead when Jesus returns. That's a promise for us, isn't it? Tricks, that one needs to trip off your tongue. Constantly looking forward to the day when he returns. Do the promises of God trip off your tongue? Do you bring them to mind constantly? Do they shape your life's purpose and direction? Are they central to your whole life? Are we believing in Jesus' return and the new heavens and new earth as devotedly as Jacob believes that his descendants would inherit the promised land? Do we believe it as devotedly? See, Jacob's, in his old age, reminding himself of God's blessings towards him. If you look at verses 25 and 26, he's thanking God for his blessings on him in the past. But his whole focus is on the future. This is in his old age. His whole focus is here on the future and what God has in store. It's on God's promises being fulfilled. It's his son's inheritance in the future. I read this week the story of Hernan Cortez who uh, was from Spain and conquered uh, Mexico with just 600 soldiers, massively outnumbered. And one of the things he did to focus his soldiers' attention, it arrived in two ships on the shores and uh, got them all there. They're trembling, really. They're totally outnumbered. They think they're going to lose. And so what he does is, is he burns the ships. Because <laughs> they're all going, oh. does this ship... Go back home, does it? You know, let's, and we can be a bit like that, can't we? God wants us to burn the ships and to look forward into the future for what he has in store for us and for those that we're serving. Moses, in this passage, as the author, wants people of God to lose their fatal nostalgia for the land of their birth, Egypt, and to have faith for the promised land. He wants them to burn the ships of the past so they can focus on what's ahead. I read this in um, Billy Graham. If you're nearing home and nearing the time when you're going to see Jesus face to face, can I recommend this? I'm recommending books left, right and centre here, aren't I? But can I recommend this book here? It's called uh, Nearing Home by Billy Graham. Really excellent book for thinking through soon being at home uh, with the Lord. And Billy Graham writes this about not dwelling on the past. He says, At my age, I can sympathise with most seniors. The good old days call back, 
call me back at times, especially when I'm with friends who have shared so much. While I choose not to dwell on the past or relive my youth, there are times I long to hike up into the hills with my children or stand in the pulpit to deliver a gospel message. But the walker, wheelchair and cane near my bed remind me that chapter in life is past, so I thank God for the memories that have enriched my life, but look forward to new opportunities, to experiences that can add some dimension to the present. Our attitudes play a major role in the closing scene on life's stage. The world's idea of a fountain of youth is a mirage. Only the Bible provides an oasis for the soul. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And he goes on and says this about that verse. The fountain of life is real, friends. We can draw strength from its resources and stand strong in our resolve to be overcomers. Looking forward to the inheritance and being in the presence of the Saviour of our souls. Though the eyes of the tired, overworked and aged may dim, his light will pour into our hearts. While the lips of the elderly may be silenced, godly words will continue to flow through our beings. When hearing is a challenge, wise instruction can run through our innermost thoughts. While many lose their ability to make decisions, others will benefit from their experiences as they also blaze new trails. Where's your focus? In, especially if you're in your latter days and you're thinking about nearing home with the Lord. Where's your focus? Burn the ships of the past and look ahead to the glorious inheritance you have in Christ with him face to face for eternity. Psalm 73 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. In the natural, your flesh and your heart may fail, but in the supernatural, God is the strength of your heart. Just uh, coming into land here, Joy and the band, if you want to come up and going to come back to... <coughs> worship in a second. Uh, what Jacob experienced in his old age in this passage was something quite remarkable, like I was saying earlier. Um, it was something he had longed for, something which looked so impossible. And yet here's this moment where he gets to bless Joseph's sons. He leans on his staff in his old age and worships. He's thankful to God. He gets this moment of utter joy, seeing something come to pass that he never thought his eyes would witness. Through all the confusion, difficulty, pain, disappointment, God, remember that verse in Genesis, God had, what others had meant for evil, God had worked for good. And Jacob gets to see that in rea- just in front of him in the flesh. And God wants to bring us great joy, doesn't he? In worshipping him for doing great things fulfilling his promises, fulfilling the prophetic. And most of all, he wants one day the promises of God are going to be fulfilled when we see Jesus face to face and all God's promises are going to find their yes and amen in his presence forever. And that's something we all have, um, we all have to look forward to, don't we? 
And faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Not in a kind of, I wish it, it will be like that. In an assurance, I have that. That is mine in Christ. Should we just still ourselves before God? I just felt as I was speaking that um, the Spirit will have been uh, speaking to some of us uniquely and letting us know his favour and blessing on us. I'm just going to guess, if you, um, as I'm talking, if you feel this, re- this is for you, would you just stand up um, and we'll pray for you at the end. I just want you to stand. If you, when I was speaking about timidity, that you naturally tend to discount yourself because you've got a more reserved nature, you tend to hold yourself back from things. Would you just... If you feel God prompting you with that, to have faith for doing great things for him, would you just stand and we'll pray for you in a second. If you have perhaps discounted yourself because of past sin, you're carrying spiritual baggage with you, you feel just naturally weak, you discount yourself, when you... Stand up, and we'll pray for you as well. The third was, if you discounted yourself because of your background, perhaps you feel at odds with the prevailing middle-class culture in churches, you're working class, you kind of perhaps dismiss the possibility of significant leadership in church life, of God doing great things through you. Perhaps you've grown dim to those things. Why don't you stand up? We'll pray for you. And finally, those, those of us who, because of old age, have grown dim to the things that God can still do through us within our limitations. Perhaps you've started to see your limitations more than you've seen what God is capable of doing through even your weakness in old age. Why don't you stand up if you feel you, God's speaking to you about that. let's be church family to one another if you're around somebody who's standing up would you just gather around them lay hands on them be a friend to them and pray with them as I pray I'm going to pray from the front but it would be good if we were gathered around people let's not leave anyone out you've got your hands on somebody just pray God's blessing on them pray his favor pray his grace over them pray that they would know the love of God in a special way pray that they would know great faith and excitement for the future pray against the enemy's attempts to make them despair and discount themselves pray against disillusionment Pray against past disappointments. Pray great faith over them for great things ahead. Lord God, we thank you for the crossed hands. We thank you that it's by grace that you bless us. 
We thank you that uh, it's not, we're not to see things as the world sees, not to see with fleshly natural eyes, but we're to see in the spirit. We're to look at the heart and see the things of God that are going on. Help us be a church, Lord, that see with spiritual eyes the things that you're doing with each of us. And we want to pray for these folk, dear folk who are standing. Pray your blessings on them. Pray they would know your favor. Pray they would know prophetic words which encourage their heart and build them up. We pray great faith for what you want to do through them. We pray you'd help them overcome the things that they feel stand in their way so that they can do great things for you. Lord, make this a place where people do surprising, unexpected things for God because of great faith in a God who uses us as jars of clay. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.